You're listening to The Professional Podcast, hosted by the Blue Collar Consulting Group. Welcome again, everyone, to yet another episode of The Professional Podcast. This is your host, Gary Roth, and I wanted to come on before the actual interview and introduce our guest a little bit more thoroughly. David Meerman Scott is not only an award-winning author, he has three international best-selling books. He's also a marketing strategist, an entrepreneur. He's an advisor to a tremendous number of companies. He's a venture capitalist. And again, he is a best-selling author. You might remember him or know him from the writing of his book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR. This episode was absolutely incredible, very insightful. We talk about things like fanocracy and turning you know, fans into customers and customers into fans, really to generate that kind of rabid, super loyal following customer base that we're all searching for. I really hope you enjoy this episode. It is one where you wanna sit down, take a few notes, and hopefully share this with people because I think it's going to be very helpful. So again, I encourage you to sit down, get comfortable, and listen to the interview with David Meerman Scott. Thanks again for tuning in. You're listening to The Professional Podcast, the best self-improvement podcast on the planet. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Professional Podcast, a podcast dedicated to self-improvement in all areas. Tonight... We have a very special guest. David Meerman Scott is an absolutely incredible speaker, marketing strategist. The list could go on and on. He's an author, he's the author of 10 books, three of which I believe are international bestsellers. And he has actually uh, wrote a new book called Fanocracy, turning you know uh, passionate fans, the most powerful marketing force in the world. So David, welcome to the show. Gary, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. I think the gratitude is mostly on this end, and I'm really excited. So, you know, like I said just a moment ago when we were warming up, tell us what you're all about. Tell us what you do. How did you How did you get here today? So my first job out of school was in a bond trading desk, and I hated it, and I was terrible at it. But what I really loved was the information mm-hmm. that the bond traders used. So I spent 15 years in the financial information business, companies like Dow Jones and Reuters, and I loved it. And that gave me a really solid background in how information is used to make decisions. And then um, when the web started kicking in, I realized that I was uniquely positioned to be able to articulate how sales and marketing has changed due to the web. And the, no, the book I'm best known for is called The New Rules of Marketing and PR. That originally came out in 2007. Okay. It's, now, it's now in the sixth edition, oh, wow. and it's sold 400,000 copies in English, and it's in 29 other languages. And, um, and as I was thinking about that book and the ideas I shared there, I recognized that many people are now abusing that channel that I've been writing about now for a long time. They've been abusing that channel, and, um, and I think we're, we're, we're ready for something new. The pendulum has swung too far in the direction of superficial online communications oh, okay. at, a, at a time when I think we're, we're, we're hungry for, for true human connection. So mm-hmm. my, my new book that you 
kindly mentioned at the top is called fanocracy, um, turning fans into customers and customers into fans. And it's all about developing a true human connection. So I am now all about how organizations and people and professionals mm-hmm. can, um, can really reach people in a more human way. Wow. I I have to tell you, that's incredibly fascinating. And I also consider it to be very interesting in the fact that you have the rise of these, these, this AI, these automated bots. And I think you're right. People often get it wrong. I can, I'm sure as you can as well, I can smell an automated response a mile away. Well, yeah. And there's, and there's automated responses and there's companies that just treat you as a, as a number. Right. And, and, um, and there's, there's you, you just sometimes you just feel like you get caught in in, in an endless loop. Um, at the same time, all of us are passionate about things. You know, I I love right. live music, for example. I've been to oh, seven hundred yes. mm-hmm. seven hundred ninety live music shows. I've been to the grateful. I've been to the scene the Grateful Dead seventy five times. Um, oh wow! And, and I love to surf, and so. Our passions are kind of one part of our life, and the way companies treat us are another part of our life. I believe we can bring those things together and okay. truly truly be organizations and professionals that um, that develop human connections. Let me give you an example so um, sure. here's how I start my presentations when I deliver speeches okay. these days. Um, I walk onto the stage. I don't even say good morning or good afternoon. I don't even thank the okay. people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just walk on the stage. I look at the audience and I say, who loves to buy auto insurance? <laughs> oh. And there's, there's usually dead silence. And if maybe a few I was going to say, yeah, maybe a few people will giggle, but who loves to buy auto insurance? And I say, no one loves to buy auto insurance. It's terrible. First of all, we don't like to buy it. Second of all, we hate to use the product because it means we crashed our car. It's terrible. <laughs> and and I say, I say, I asked one person that question. I said, who loves, do you, who loves to buy auto insurance? And he said, insurance sucks. It's terrible. And this was McKeel Haggerty. He's the CEO of an insurance, of an auto insurance company. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, so so I was interviewing McKeel Haggerty. He runs the largest insurance company for classic cars in the world. Oh, yeah. And he focuses. And he said, David, everyone hates my business. I had to do something different. So what I did differently is I focused on developing fans. Oh. And so here's Haggerty Insurance and in a business everyone hates and a product category nobody likes. He's got over uh, almost a million followers on his YouTube channel. Whoa. He's um, got 650,000 members of the Haggerty Drivers Club, uh, and people pay $45 a year to join that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, he's, he goes to classic, he and his team, not just him, of course, this team goes to classic car events around the country and run seminars and provide education for people. Um, They have um, the largest database of the values of classic cars in the world so people can see the value of their cars. They've just done a really fabulous job at developing fans. And they've grown by double digits every single year. 
Um, they've got they're going to grow by 200,000 customers this year, um, and their fans love them. Now they're they've created fans of their business in a product category that everybody hates. <laughs> so um, so that's this idea of developing fans. Man, that that is absolutely fascinating. Would you compare that to like the State Farm commercials with Aaron Rodgers or like the, you know, the the late night phone calls and stuff like that? Would you kind of compare that as well, where they try to elevate or transcend the actual business? Well, I mean, I think that's just advertising. Okay. I think okay. Sure. People. People see through advertising. They, okay. They don't. They don't. They generally don't believe it. I mean, you know, you've got the Geico, whatever it is, Geico yeah. Ge- Gecko, or you mm-hmm. know, whatever it is, Salamander, whatever that thing is. Um, <laughs> and, and and people think, oh, that's kind of cute. There's a you know little salamander like floating around and talking. Yeah. But 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 they they don't love to spend money with Geico. They hate oh, it. True. True. It's true, a true. freaking auto insurance company. But. Uh-huh. Haggerty has done such a good job at developing true human connection. They're physically there at classic car shows. Um, oh, okay, yes. You know, there's people that you recognize on the YouTube channel who educate you about classic cars. So right. it's virtual and physical. Sure. Um, so, you know, I would say as a way to grow fans and develop connections with customers and get people to be eager to do business with your company, you can spend tens of millions of dollars on a stupid salamander Mm -hmm. um, like Geico does, or you can spend money to create genuine connections, have a fabulous YouTube channel, go to hundreds of car events, provide education, um, Mm -hmm. which is what Haggerty does. It's a different approach. And, um, you know, I, I would say, based on all the research I've done, that people want to do business with those organizations who are um, developing a true human connection in the way that Haggerty does. Well, and, and I got to tell you, David, that's incredibly insightful. Uh, basically, you know, some of the bigger companies are basically just using clever advertising in some what I would call a phony attempt to to get a genuine connection. I think that that's a very important distinction. So, you know, with that, um, you know, let's, let's kind of turn the gears. Let's turn the mirror back on you. And thank you for bringing up the Haggerty reference. That's absolutely incredible. What? Hmm. So you, you love music, right? And I, and I saw one of your videos and you talk about the Grateful Dead. And forgive me if it's wrong. I, 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 would you consider yourself a deadhead? Is that still a thing, or is that like an insulting term? I don't want to cause any offense. Uh, no, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, okay. we 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 call ourselves deadheads sometimes, and I would certainly consider myself one. Seventy-five. My first, I saw my first Grateful Dead show when I was seventeen years old. Oh wow! Um, and um, the last time I saw. Well, Jerry Garcia died in 1995, so they no longer sure. call themselves the Grateful Dead. They now call themselves Dead and Company, and I understand. John, Ma- John Mayer is playing the Grateful Dead role. But right. um, cool. the la- yeah, the last time I saw them was on Halloween, um, which was just a couple months ago. So yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I I think that's awesome, and um, oh, you know how do how does it go from and and I, I love your thoughts on this. How do you go from, you know, oh, yeah, I like a band or I like a show or I like a company. Are there some key elements that you've discovered that that turn you into that passionate fan that 
you know, how do you get somebody to just like a band to where they're following them around the country? <laughs> so what we learned, if, if, uh, and I say we because I wrote Fanocracy with my daughter. She's now 26 years old. Um, and when we first started this project five years ago, she was 21. Oh, wow. And she's a great co-author because uh, obviously a different generation since my, she's my daughter, obviously a different gender. Yeah. Uh, she has different fandoms than I do. She loves Harry Potter. She loves to yeah. cosplay and go to Comic Con. But she's also um, a mix. She's a mixed mixed race millennial, and all and also interestingly, is did a neuroscience degree at Columbia University and is now in her final year of medical school. And she yeah. will will be starting her emergency room residency next year. So oh, that's so, awesome. So she has um, she has a very different ap approach and. So we studied the idea of why do people become as passionate as I do, as I am about the Grateful Dead, for example, and my daughter is about Harry Potter. And it turns out at the at deep down at sort of the bottom level is we become passionate about something because like-minded people do that. We're a part of a tribe. We're a part of a group of people who understand one another. We are, um, we are doing things that allow us to have a genuine human connection with like-minded people. So in my case, um, in my case, you know, the Grateful Dead tribe, you know, we have a language. Fandom is a language. And, uh, you know, we know the song names, we know, um, sure. you know, what's, what's coming next. We, we, you know, we, we, we could strike up a conversation with anybody at that show and say, hey, how's it going? Have you seen them recently? Um, how, you know, what are you looking forward to tonight? You know, you, you never met that person, but you have an instant connection. Same sure. thing with same thing with Harry Potter, same thing with fishing, same thing with people who love triathlon, the same thing with people who cheer for a particular sports team, um, same thing with classic cars that Haggerty has tapped into. So it's a like-minded human connection. So what that means is the more you can develop genuine human connection into the ways that you work with your customers, the more likely you are to have them become a fan. And so what was interesting about the Haggerty example that I just shared is, and I'm going to paraphrase him now, okay. but, what, but what Mikhail Haggerty told me was he didn't have to invent the automobile he didn't in, have to invent the passion that people have for classic cars. All he had to do was tap into that existing passion and sure. share things that people would appreciate. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing him. Uh, and so that's true of all of us. And um, I'll tell a story about how I met um, Brian Halligan. He's the CEO of a company called HubSpot. I was... Um, uh, I was, he invited me to come to his office to meet him because he read a copy of the New Rules of Marketing and PR way back in 2007 nice. and invited, invited me back then to come to his company. At that time, HubSpot had seven, um, I think, eight employees. They had no customers yet, and they had oh, only wow. beta, beta software. So I said, sure, I'll come. They, they, their office is very close, like 20 miles away. So, so I drove to their office, and I pulled out my MacBook Pro computer, and I opened it up. 
and I have some stickers on the back of my computer. One of yep. the stickers was a Grateful Dead sticker. And Brian said, wait, hang on. You know, why, why was this, what's this the Grateful Dead sticker? And I said, I love the Grateful Dead. My favorite band. I've seen them 50 times. And Brian says, I love the Grateful Dead too. I've seen them over 100 times. Oh, man. And, and in the first minute that Brian and I met one another, literally mm-hmm. the first minute we met one another, we had an instant bond. Yep, because, I can see because, that. Because we share the same fandom because we like the same thing. And that instant bond led to us becoming friends. It led to us becoming business colleagues. He invited me to join the advisory board of HubSpot, which I've been on since 2007. Together, we've grown the company now. There's 3,000 employees. They're listed on the New York Stock Exchange, $650 million in revenue this year um, from a standing start of zero when I first met them. And um, we even co-wrote a book together called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. So I'm telling this because the things that we're a fan of become so incredibly important to us. And it's such an important part of us that when an organization can tap that, it can lead to amazing things. And when, for, and, and when a professional can tap that. So what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for the professionals listening into this conversation? Yeah. What, it mean, what it means is that we should celebrate the things we love. And too many people have a, a line in the sand where they say, my professional life is over here. Mm-hmm. And my personal life is over there. Mm-hmm. And, and those two things will never meet. But what I've learned, and my daughter and I have learned in our research, is that you should mix those things. It's a, it's a great idea to share what you're passionate about, even if it's something like the Grateful Dead or Harry Potter or surfing or fishing or the fact that you love the Boston Red Sox. Um, because even if you celebrate that you love the Boston Red Sox, if you happen to meet a, a New York Yankees fan, um, you know that you're both passionate about baseball, even though you, cha- you cheer for different sports. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Right? So, so... Uh, you know, I know your podcast is about prof- you know, the professional, but I think that uh, the best professionals are those that, uh, that recognize that what they do outside of their professional life has incredible value to humanize them among other professionals. Well, I think you're absolutely right, David. You know, having that human connection can take shape in a lot of ways. Like, for instance, if you're in New York, and you meet somebody like I'm from Missouri. If I were to meet a Missourian in New York, that would be an incredibly instant connection. And yeah. so exactly the more that you can. In fact, I spoke with a, a financial coach earlier today from St. Louis. I grew up in Missouri and spent a lot of time in St. Louis in the last several years. And she's like, you're the first person that I've been on a podcast with from Missouri. And so automatically we had that connection. And I fully agree with you, David, that even the most quote unquote professional of professionals, you should let yourself be human. Absolutely right. We are not robots. We're not machines. So, and uh, absolutely awesome stories. And I love that, that fandom is a language because it it really is. And I, I absolutely love that when you speak of the grateful dead, when you speak of, you know, your travels and, you know, even working on something with your daughter, that's another connection. Um, And so I just think that you're just allowing those connections to be made like you started off the podcast with in an era 
that is thirsty and hungry for real human connection. So, yeah. okay, so let's go practical for a second. Part of my audience, uh, David, are, are young entrepreneurs, veterans that are separating from the military. And by the way, military is a huge connection. Um, you know, those that are separating, starting off, how do you, even from the start, is there a way to, to generate those, that, that fandom language, that connection, or do you, do you simply just leverage your, your personal things first until you create something that becomes, um, I don't know, an object of affection, so to speak, how, how would a person start to generate that from scratch? So I have a couple of thoughts there. The first okay. thought, the first thought is that um, when you hang up your shingle, so to speak, when you sure. decide that decide you're going to be an entrepreneur, um, whether you're starting a company or whether you're you're um, starting a consulting practice uh, or you know whatever it might be, um, a strong suggestion is to. Uh, show the kind of person you are. Sure. Um, show us what you do outside of your work. Mm -hmm. have, okay. have, have actual photographs of you um, out in the wild, so to speak, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, on my social media feeds, I'll frequently post images of me um, at at live music concerts or mm -hmm. surfing or, you know, doing the things that I love to do. Right. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so, but also to have images, photographs of you, um, that are on the website that just show, show who you are, you know, mm -hmm. and, and also, um, on your, on your website, as, as you're getting going, um, use, use, real language, the ways that people talk. I mean, so many people when they're setting out feel like they have to be, and, and I keep using your word professional because no, it's, that's okay. yeah, it's the going. theme of yeah. your podcast, but, but, they, but they, they feel like they have to be overly professional. Yeah. And so like, you know, there's always the, the jargon that gets thrown around in every industry. So I'm just going to throw out some jargon for you. I mean, people say, um, oh, our product is the flexible, scalable solution for improving business process using cutting-edge mission-critical technology oh, yeah. and, and write that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's not the way that people really talk. So my strong recommendation would be please, please use you know, normal human language. Please right. use, uh, use language on your, your website um, and your marketing materials and your social media feeds and everything um, to speak the way that you would speak to your mother. Sure. Um, that's going to make you more human. And, I, and I'm going to share another concept, yeah. which, we, which we wrote about in the book. It's got a whole chapter. It's called Get Closer Than Usual. We, we researched um, a bunch of different neuroscience aspects of fandom. Why do we become fans of something? And one of the reasons is, I mentioned earlier, that we share a connection with people who do the things that we do, okay. that like the things that we like, and that human connection is important. And we already talked about that. But it turns out that there's a specific human reason for that, hardwired in our DNA. It's non-negotiable. We humans are programmed to have a biological human reaction to other humans that are near us. 
it's a survival it's a survival mechanism that's built into all of us and the survival mechanism is that we have a strong emotional strong emotional connection to people the closer that they get to us sure proximity yeah yeah, proximity, proximity, exactly. And um, uh, we spoke to a number of neuroscientists about this. There's one neuroscientist named Edward T. Hall that identified the different levels of proximity. So um, um, the first one, public space, is further than about 12 feet away. Um, and our brains know that people are within our public space, but we don't actively track them. When people get within 12 feet of us, it becomes social space between about 4 feet to 12 feet. And then we, our brains take over and we begin to track those people. So if we walk into a room and there's other people in that room and they're within 12 feet of us, we track those people because our brains, our ancient brains, our ancient DNA wants to know, are those people friends or foes or possible mates? And we can't help that. Then when they get within four feet of us, which is cocktail party distance, it becomes an even more emotional connection. So if we um, like and trust those people, like for example, in a live music concert, the Grateful Dead concerts, or at a Harry Potter convention, or if you're fishing with other people or surfing with other people, um, you have a strong positive connection. Those are really positive emotional connections. But if you get into a crowded elevator with people you don't know, or if you're in, or if you're walking down a street. Uh, in a crowded city, and there's people that are near you, you don't know if they pose any danger. Your ancient brain doesn't know if they pose any danger, sure. and, and you feel uncomfortable. Um, all, of, all of that suggests that in your new business, if you're an entrepreneur, how can you purposefully get close to people, physically get close to people, Mm-hmm. Um, and build those connections that our ancient brains appreciate. How can you do that? And so what that means is, can you have, go to lunch with people? Can you meet them in their office? Depending on your business, you know, different ways to do this. Can you um, create a... Um, an, an event where you bring people together and share ideas with them? Uh, can you create a party with uh, multiple people so that they get to be near one another? Can you mm-hmm. go to a physical event where the people you're trying to reach are already are? Um, uh, and all of these things are really powerful ways to connect, and they come from neuroscience that's hardwired into our brains. We can't help it. And, um, and, and it becomes very, very powerful. But many early young entrepreneurs kind of get holed up in their office and they don't leave because they're just trying to perfect their product or their offering or their right. consulting practice. Right. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what your friend Haggerty did with going to the classic car shows. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And he met those people. Per- he met he met people who love classic cars. They met they meet them in person, physically in person. Yeah. Is there, and I'm a huge fan of social media. I'm, I'm just a student of it. I'm fanatical about it. I, I love it. I think it opens up a lot of opportunity. Can you, can you speak to at least maybe showing uh, genuine connection or uh, is, does social media play a role in these, you know, 
uh, what do I want to say, genuine human connection? Can can social media Absolutely. play a role? Okay. Absolutely, absolutely, no question about it. So we already spoke briefly about using language that yeah, real yes. people use. Yes. So that's important. That's important. So if you're using social media, you, you know, use use real language that people use. Don't use that gobbledygook, made up kind of you know robot speak language. Mm -hmm. um, but there's another concept that comes from neuroscience that we can use. Um, that's very related to what we just spoke about. We, so we just spoke about the, the science of proximity mm -hmm. and how the closer we get to someone, if we trust them, the more powerful the positive human emotions are. Um, it turns out there's another concept within neuroscience called mirror neurons. And yeah. the, mirror the mirror neurons are the parts of your brain that fire when you see or hear people do something and your brain fires as if, it's, as if you're actually doing that thing yourself. Okay. Um, so uh, what that means is like if you go to a movie uh -huh. and it's a sad movie, you feel sad. If it's um, an action-filled movie, you feel your adrenaline flowing. That's, that's from the concept of mirror neurons. I mean, you're not actually experiencing that, that sadness yourself, but your brain fires as if you are. That's why you feel sad. Um, and, and so... Um, I've got a lemon right now, Gary. It's in my hand. Um, and if I take a bite of that lemon, wow, I can really feel it. It's incredibly powerful. It makes my eyes close. My mm -hmm. mouth puckers up a little bit. My saliva immediately starts to flow. It's a really, you know, biting into a lemon is really powerful. Yes. And even even just me talking about that, you might have had your saliva glands. I did, yeah, that's right. Well. That's right, sure. And so that's the power of mirror neurons. That's why we believe we personally know movie stars and television stars. We don't know them. We've never met them. They don't know who we are. But we feel we know them because our brain fires by seeing them on a screen as if we know them. Now, this is really powerful to understand this for social media because what it means is if you use photographs and video – in such a way, I know you're fans of both. If you use photographs and video in such a way that you're sharing images as if you're in the personal um, space of the people, mm -hmm. um, that that can be fabulously powerful so for social media. What does that mean? It means that um, if you crop your photo photograph as if you're four feet away from the camera, Mm -hmm. and you're looking directly at the camera, that the people who are looking at that photograph through the, the magic of mirror neurons believe that they are in your personal space. I see. This, okay, yes. this, actually, this actually explains the selfie phenomenon. So, I would agree. Um, you know, many people dismiss selfies as frivolous. Um, oh, that's just something that, you know, that teenagers do. You know, there's no use of selfies in our professional business, people of say. <laughs> um, but, in, but in fact, here's what a selfie is. It's a photograph taken within four feet because our arm is four feet or less. Um, we're looking directly at the camera. Many times there's other people in the shot with us. They're looking at directly at the camera. And these are actually very positive images because the people who see that selfie feel as if 
through mirror neurons that they're in your personal space. Right. Okay. And and if if they know or trust you, um, that's a very positive emotion. Uh, and that's that's why for many people on social networks, and you may have experienced this yourself. I know I have. Um, that the social media feeds that get the most reaction that I send out are almost ex- mm-hmm. almost always photographs that I've taken of people or best yet photographs of me, selfies I've taken myself. Uh, And that's because of mirror neurons. So it's a very long answer to your simple question of, yes, social media is very powerful for developing fans. And one way to do that is to be very conscious about how you use video and photographs and to use it in such a way as if you're looking, you, you need to look directly at the camera need to crop it such as it feels as though you're four feet away and you need to do it in a in a in a human way in other words not don't put on the makeup and have all the lighting and you know do the official do the official portrait um instead casual do it you know just the the selfie shot the shot of you doing something you love to do that can be really powerful stuff mm-hmm Oh, and I and I think that's great, David. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here thinking of looking at a picture of you surfing from far away versus a picture of you looking to your right, maybe on a couch. Like if you're trying to tell me something or give me advice, I don't want some random guy a hundred feet away on a surfboard. I want the gentleman that's sitting next to me on the couch. And I man, that is absolutely powerful stuff. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. It's and it's especially powerful because it's rooted in science. It's it's something that's hardwired in our brains that we can't help. And when you know that information, it allows you to be more to use more effectively um, photographs and video. Well, and I think you're right. And you know, consumer behavior has has been documented. And I love those studies. That's probably a little bit uh, higher above my uh, Midwestern education, but the the inferences that you can draw from data are, as you have mentioned, are incredibly powerful. And and I guess from from somebody that's starting out or somebody that's wanting to grow their business, uh, it it is a worthwhile practice to study the science and you know read books like yourself where you've interpreted the science and, and really take it to the next level. Because I kind of sounds to me like nothing in your world you, you might agree with nothing just happens. Usually there's a reason for everything. Would you agree with that? Um, I think I think I could agree with that. Or you know, in, beha- I, in behavior, excuse me, in human behavior. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're animals. We we have DNA. We're hard we're hardwired to think in certain ways and act in certain ways. Right. And you know, you can go you can go crazy trying to learn all the details. You can't learn all the details, but there are some sure. aspects that if you know how they work, it can be really really interesting and powerful. Yeah, it sounds like it. And again, I'm I'm just fascinated by the study. And I how do you know it? Let me ask you this to kind of counter what you said about letting your personal life show. It, is there anything that you would consider maybe a little bit off limits? Uh, like, for instance, if, um, you know, let's say you like to, you know, let's say you like to surf. Let's say you like to go to art museums. And let's say you also like to drink, you know. <laughs> would, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where, where would you personally or professionally draw the line on letting your your personal side show? Well, I think you have to be conscious of who are you trying to reach. Okay, sure. You know, if, you, if you're in the beer business, the fact that you drink is probably a good thing. Yeah, um, good point. Uh, So, 
um, uh, specifically, there's a number of people who have um, reservations about sharing photographs of their family members, especially yeah. cho- especially children. Good that's point. fine. I, that's fine. I get that, and, and I totally appreciate that. Um, I think you should be you shouldn't go beyond your comfort zone when it comes to sharing, and it's probably for for many professionals showing a picture of you, um, you know, on a beach with a with a pina colada with your shirt off. That that, that may not that may not be the most appropriate thing, and and if you don't want to do that, that's totally fine. For other people, showing images of your, uh, you know, your eight year old playing soccer, but you playing soccer with your eight-year-old, you, know, you, you may not want to do that, and that's totally fine. But I do believe that um, as a general rule, mm-hmm. um, showing showing your humanity, showing you as a person is valuable. And, and I want to share an example that we write about in our book, Fanocracy, of, uh, sure. a, a, a dentist. His name is Dr. John Marashi. Dr. Marashi is a dentist in Southern California. Very competitive business. If you, you know, if you Google dentist Southern California, you're going to get thousands of different. Hits. <laughs> okay, yeah, and very, that, very, you know, very important. Very, yeah. com- it's very competitive, right? So, Dr. Marashi uh, and I spoke um, a few years ago. I met him. At, I, I speak at all Tony Robbins Business Mastery events, and I met um, Dr. Marashi at a Business Mastery event. And he said to me, "You know, I, I really." don't want to put myself out there on social media. You know, I, I'm just not comfortable sharing who I am on social media. And I said, you know, of course that's your prerogative, but let me, let me talk about some reasons why you might want to. And I shared with him some of the ideas that we've been talking about just now. Yeah. And he said, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. And I heard from Dr. Marashi about a year later, and he goes, I just want to let you know that my business is on fire because of what you told me. Oh, man, that's um, awesome. And, and he, 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 he's a dentist, and the last time I checked, he has 12,000 Instagram followers. A dentist. Wow. That's with 12,000 Instagram yeah. followers. Yeah. So what, so what here, he has, he, he has four broad categories of photographs that he ch- shares on his Instagram. Okay. The the first category is stuff around his his practice, his dent, his professionalism, his dent, his dentistry, and he has before and after pictures of teeth, things like that. Sure. The second the second category is he shares photos of him with patients. Oh, that's and, awesome! Yeah, that's human. It's human, right? And and he's lucky in that some of his patients are famous actors in Southern California and, well, sure. and they are, are, willing to, are willing to share photos of him. So that's cool. The third category he shares are some shots of he and his family. And, and oh, again, nice. I said, More I, human. I said, yeah. I said, I said earlier that that may not be right for some people, but for him, he's comfortable with it. The third category, the fourth category I think is fabulous is that he loves to skateboard. Oh, he's a, he's that, a skateboarder, yes. right? Oh, that he, is awesome. And he posts pictures of him skateboarding, right? So oh, he's a man. dentist with a young family who skateboards, and um, and and that all of those things serve to humanize him. And so, you know, if you're new to the Southern California area, you don't know anybody. Uh, you just moved in, or you had a bad experience with your old dentist, you're looking for a new dentist, and you're just doing the research, or you ask for a referral, 
Yeah. Um, you know, you know, if Dr. Marashi's name pops up with a referral, uh, um, he told me that 30% of his new patients come directly from social media, and he and he believes the number, including those who are influenced by his social media, who are new patients, might be as many as 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, there's your there's the results of putting yourself out there a little bit on social media and showing your personal self to grow fans. And it costs you nothing. That's completely organic. That's that. Right. That is, it's com- totally organic. It's free to put <laughs> up Instagram photos. Exactly right. See, I want I want this guy to work as my dentist now. I'm going to California. Right. I know. I know. That's right. So awesome. I live, I live, in, the, I live yeah. in the Boston area. If I lived anywhere near him, I he'd be my guy. For That's sure. what I'm talking about. Boy, the the skateboard angle just really sealed it. Okay. <laughs> David, listen, we're getting towards the end here. You've given us incredible, incredible insights, that human connection, the tribe, fandom, tapping into that stuff, showing yourself as human, common language on your on your media stuff, your content. It's absolutely awesome. So you've got a book. It's it's new, Fanocracy. fanocracy. Who should read this book? Um, you know, it's funny. When we first started doing our research five years ago, um, we we wondered is this concept of fanocracy is this we didn't we didn't have that word yet is this okay. concept of fandom is this right for everybody you know cl- clearly fandom is something that we think of when it's sort of sports teams or rock bands or authors and and it turns out from doing the research everybody everybody can use this these concepts of fandom. You know, okay. we just sh- we just shared shared over the last forty five minutes. We shared a dentist who built fans, yep. an insurance company, and a market everyone hates who's built fans. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and we have dozens more examples of people who have developed fans, and it's been huge a huge growth engine for their business. So, I'm absolutely hundred percent convinced that anybody who wants to develop a more human connection with their existing and potential customers, um, can, um, who wants to create more passion for what they do so that people get attracted to them and become their fans. Those are the people uh, who should be reading this book. Oh, man. And I, I got to tell you, that's, that's a lot of people. That, that is definitely a lot of people. Uh, you wrote it with your daughter. She's in her final year of medical school. That's absolutely amazing. You should probably give lessons on time management because I don't know how you both did it, especially with a busy <laughs> speaking schedule. But yeah, um, well, uh, the good thing was we we we've been working on it for five years. We didn't try to rush it. Oh, wow, um, we okay. didn't we didn't know how long the project would take, but um, the research phase was about two years. The writing phase was a little more than a year. Um, editing was another year, and now we're in the sort of the promotional phase. But we didn't try to push it and try to rush it. That's a great idea. So, can you tell me it's it's not quite out yet? Are you still in the pre-order stage, or is it out now? January seventh, twenty twenty. I like it. Okay, and you can order it, pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, IndieBound, yeah. anywhere else. All those places, and um, and also we um, we recorded the audiobook ourselves. Oh, nice! Uh, that is absolutely yeah, awesome. Which was really fun. So um, um, it was it was great to do that. And so I know some people really, especially people who listen to podcasts like this one, some people prefer, prefer audiobooks. So coming yeah. out the same coming out the same day. I'm a huge audio fan, audiobook fan. That is absolutely incredible. Uh, David, listen, thank you again so much for coming on the show. 
Uh, let's see. If if people wanted you to speak, where should they get a hold of you at? So a couple of things um, in terms of reaching out. Um, there's a uh, website we built at fanocracy.com. Okay. And there you can find videos and, and things you can download and lots of other lots of more information about fanocracy. Okay. Um, on social media, I am DM Scott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T. And my full name is David Meerman Scott. I use my middle name because that makes me the only David Meerman Scott on the entire planet. But if I had only, if I had used my name just David Scott, there would have been a gazillion of us. So, so if you're interested in learning more about me personally and perhaps inviting me to speak or do something else, it's davidmeermanscott.com. That is absolutely outstanding. David, listen again, thank you for the show. Best to you and your daughter in medical school and in residency and everything else that she's probably going to get into, which is a lot, I'm sure. And uh, again, thank you so much for the valuable information. Uh, really looking forward to getting this all processed and getting it out there because I know my listeners are really, really going to appreciate it. So thank you so very much for everything. You got it, Gary. Thank you for having me on. All right. Take care, sir. You're listening to The Professional Podcast with Gary Roth.